Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Aloha. Aloha, Chad. John, we are almost done. Redrafting over the past 15 years. We're on the 2011 NBA draft, a draft that I think was a bit of an enigma for a lot of NBA teams. Uh, The top prospect, I think that was the consensus top prospect at the time, was coming off an injury. He wasn't able really to do workouts. There was a lot of other big questions about drafting a small point guard here. This was one of those ones where there was a lot of head scratching about what this draft order was going to be and and how it was going to pan out. Yeah, and it worked out that it ended up being a good draft, just not in the places people expected, I think. So let's recap what happened in 2011. It starts with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had the number one pick in the draft, to select Kyrie Irving out of Duke. At number two, the Minnesota Timberwolves are on the board and select Derek Williams out of Arizona. Super athletic dunker yet again. The Minnesota Timberwolves at it again. At three, the Utah Jazz select Ennis Cantor out of Turkey, who was supposed to play at Kentucky, but because of NCAA eligibility questions about whether he was a professional basketball player in Turkey, they end up not allowing him to play. He practices with the team, hangs around Kentucky a lot, but teams have to draft him based off of what he was doing in international competition and unfortunately couldn't really see him there, though some teams got to see him in practice and some other things uh, as well. At four, the Cleveland Cavaliers selected Tristan Thompson out of Texas. At five, the Toronto Raptors selected Jonas Valanciunas out of Lithuania. At six, run on international players right now. The Washington Wizards select Jan Vesely out of the Czech Republic. At seven, Charlotte trades up and takes the number seven pick in the draft and selects Bismack Biombo. I have a good, good Bismack Biombo story to tell at some point. At eight, the Detroit Pistons select Kentucky player Brandon Knight, brother of Brevin Knight. At nine, Charlotte's on the board again. They select Kemba Walker out of UConn. At 10, the Kings are now on the board. This was part of the trade with seven, and Milwaukee was part of this trade. Milwaukee actually originally had this pick. It ends up in Sacramento. They select Jimmer Fredette out of BYU. At 11, the Golden State Warriors select Clay Thompson out of Washington State. At 12, the Utah Jazz select Alec Burks out of Colorado. And then a run on twins mm-hmm. right back to back in the draft. Phoenix Suns take Markeith Morris out of Kansas, which, you know, interestingly, kind of coming into their college careers, he was the lesser of the true Morris brothers. And at 14, the Houston Rockets select Marcus Morris out of Kansas. Oh, you get a mix more fun of Kansas players. No, Chad has tears in his eyes right now because there were back-to-back Kansas picks of players that ended up not sucking. That That is true, but that's like a fairly low standard uh, to say that they're not <laughs> sucking. 
And you know what? You know, we we'll talk about the Morris twins later. I, 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 I hung out with the Morris twins a little bit and that was quite, quite the uh, journey in Florida. We were hanging out. Okay. Well, I believe that uh, I get the number one pick in the draft. All right. Time. All right. You're going to take Marquis or Marcus. I'm not, I'm taking neither. Okay. I'm actually going to play, take a player that I really liked on, on draft night. I was shocked when he fell. There were some questions about his knee, which I think dropped him probably a good six to, you know, 10 spots in the draft, frankly, uh, depending on where teams had him. Kawhi Leonard. Wow. Is, is my selection at number one, despite the injuries, uh, despite, uh, some rocky moments there, uh, with the, the San Antonio Spurs, he has been, when he has been healthy and engaged, just flat out awesome and awesome. Yeah. The thing you're hoping for is, can this guy be the best player on a team that wins the championship? And he was that two different times. With two different teams. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. So absolute no brainer to me, despite some other players here who have had some pretty impressive careers. Chad, how'd he end up going 15th? Yeah. So look, I think there was a couple of things that, that happened. And probably the biggest was that there was questions about his knee on draft night and that he was going to need some knee surgery and whatever. This is, you know, something that just can spook teams, especially kind of when the concern surfaces a little bit later uh, in the draft. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing where like he'd been injured during his season and was sitting out like, like Kyrie Irving was. And in fact, sometimes having the, all the known stuff prepares you for it the same way. There was, there was a lot of other questions. He had the most enormous hands that, that, that I've ever seen. Uh, there, I mean, obviously his Nike logo was his hand. Um, that's, that's how enormous they were major questions about whether he was going to be able to shoot. Uh, he wasn't a good shooter at, at San Diego state either of the years that he was there and questions given his hand size actually about the, whether that was ever going to change. There's a sort of theory out there that, that players with huge, large hands like this, there's just a lot more space for the ball to move. They can't be great. Um, shooters in the league and he was a he was a different cat that that's the other thing I would just say about Kawhi Leonard and and I don't actually mean that in a derogatory way but he was just he was different he was a little bit more cerebral a little bit more difficult to to figure out I was in again he worked out in Las Vegas with Joe Abunazar and what really endeared me to Kawhi Leonard was that I'll show up really early like 6 30 early because I kind of want to catch it before the show is on and guys, you know, see who's in the gym first or whatever. This is a routine that I, I picked up from some veteran scouts over the years. You stay, you go early, you stay late and see uh, what players are doing. Kawhi Leonard was the first guy in the gym and he was the last guy to leave that night. And when I say the last guy to leave that night, he probably was in the gym 13 hours that day, not goofing around, you know, when he wasn't on the court, working on stuff, watching film, I talked to a number of the trainers and different people there. He said, the guy, the guy lives here. All he wants to do is play basketball. All he wants to do is get better. That was something that I think in part sold me on Kawhi Leonard's work ethic. And this is also the case where he landed, I think, on exactly the right team for him. 
The Spurs yeah. were the right yeah. team to develop him, to appreciate the talents that he brought to bear on that team. It, it, it's interesting because on draft night, this was Indiana's pick. And they also really liked Kawhi Leonard. And they had been set up the entire draft night to make a trade for George Hill. Uh, they needed a point guard. George Hill was a local guy, uh, had, had been behind Tony Parker at San Antonio. They really thought he could be a starting point guard. And where they were as a team, it, all of this made a lot of sense to them. And, and what they were hoping was that a player was going to fall at 15 that San Antonio was going to be willing to trade George Hill for. None of them thought it was going to be Kawhi Leonard. And they had a deep pause when it got to 15. And you know, you only have five minutes on the clock yeah. to sort of make this decision now. Yeah. It had all been pre-negotiated, but there was a robust discussion in the Indiana front office about, should we just draft another young player, keep this young guy and, and roll with it? Or do we go get this guy that's more of a veteran coming from a great culture in San Antonio? They knew George Hill, they loved George Hill, bring him in. At the time, it looked like it was a really good move for Indiana. I still think it was a solid move for Indiana, but they gave up a MVP caliber Hall of Fame prospect in in, in the large scheme of things. And uh, you wonder a little bit what would have happened with Indiana had Kawhi Leonard come in. Well, could they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George together in Indiana rather than in L.A.? Yeah. And so, you know, really interesting and, and why this job is so hard, right? Because if you yeah. look at it on paper, what Indiana did made a lot of sense. George Hill is a good player. He's not a scrub. He was coming out of the culture there. They knew him well. It was a, it was a need. They felt as a team, again, that they needed to take this to another level and be competitive in ways that rookies often aren't. And Kawhi Leonard, by almost all accounts, was a project as a basketball player coming into the draft. Um, but wow, um, what, what a get for the Spurs. And also, let's just say, what a get for Masai Ujiri, who gambled huge drafting or uh, trading DeMar DeRozan for what everyone thought was only going to be one year of Kawhi. And that, that gamble only pays off if you win a championship. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, gotta love Masai he rolls the dice. He gambles on Kawhi, delivers a championship to Toronto. They lose him to L.A., but I, I don't think it matters. It turns out to be a great deal for Toronto because that's that's why you play the game. Yeah. Okay. That's Kawhi Leonard at number one. The Wolves are on the clock at number two. Who do you got? Well, this is a bit ironic. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to select Jimmy Butler for Minnesota. <laughs> Just, uh, just 28 picks higher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing pick by the Bulls. They had a really good four-year run here where they took Joakim Noah, Miritich, Derek Rose, and Jimmy Butler and really built up the nucleus of those teams they had under Thibodeau. Um, and this was the best pick of them all, I think. 30th pick, last pick of the first round. And they get Jimmy Butler, does nothing his first year but then just keeps improving, keeps improving, and turns into a total stud. And, and truly one of the most um, inspirational and moving background stories of, of any player. I, I wrote about this on draft night. Uh, you can check it out at ESPN.com for the whole story. Sort of a blindside sort of story 
about yeah. Jimmy Butler um, and the foster system living with uh, just just can't live at home ends up being sort of unofficially adopted uh, by a family that really takes him in and a player that in so many ways could have ended up in so many different situations, but transcends the, the really highest arts. He has one of the toughest growing up stories that you can possibly have to end up with this sort of career. And, uh, you know, when I talk to everybody, not just his high school folks, but the, the, the coach and, and staff at Marquette, uh, someone who knew that he had this amazing opportunity in front of him and just worked and worked and worked to become better and better and better. And that's been Jimmy Butler's career uh, throughout this. And uh, yeah, just has turned into an amazing player. It was a beautiful story on draft night that he got drafted. And that, that was the whole thing was he got drafted. Yeah. And with the 30th yeah. pick in the draft, I'm, I'm and most people are not under any illusions that Jimmy Butler is going to turn into an all-star. Um, and do no, what he does yeah, with his just, career. Uh, what a great ending to the story. Yeah, just an absolute tribute to his work ethic that he was able to keep grinding and built himself up. I mean, they say, you know, not to take older players and, you know, especially ones who don't, don't seem to have crazy high ceilings. He's, he's definitely the exception on that rule. Well, like I said, we're going to have a really good start to this draft. Um, there, there are five all-stars at the top and you can start to make arguments for all of them. You can, six. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There's six. There's six all-stars here. <laughs> yeah. Well, we forgot about one. We'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Um, the 60th pick in the draft was also an all-star. Um, and, and I think that you can make arguments. I actually really interested to see what the reaction is going to be to where I think Kawhi Leonard is, is clearly one, but where some, you order some of the rest of these guys, they all have their, their moments and things that you can talk about. The jazz are on the board at three. I'm going to go ahead and select Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. here who went number one. Uh, turns out that uh, he was really good, better than anything actually that I think we expected that we were going to actually see out of Duke. And, you know, was the guy that was able to pair with LeBron and deliver a championship to Cleveland and as much as LeBron gets the the bulk of the credit there he does not do that without Kyrie Irving and and Kyrie Irving hit some big big shots shots for Cleveland but chafed under the star power of LeBron never really felt like his game was respected the way that it should have been with LeBron and so at 24 years old Cleveland makes a move he goes to Boston and uh has you know two really good seasons at Boston before uh, coming back and and being at Brooklyn. Injury concerns have have plagued him a bit uh, throughout his career um, as well. But when Kyrie Irving is on, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hit the biggest shot of that Golden State series uh, that when Cleveland won its championship, and you know it didn't always go great in in Boston those two years, but they were still a good team and he was still a, a good high level player on those teams. And so it's easy to, it's easy to lose sight of that basic fact. And the fact that they thought they were pairing him at least in 18 and 19 with Gordon Hayward and that, that a, a peak Gordon Hayward only to have Hayward injured and yeah, uh, or sorry, in 2017, 18 have Hayward injured and 
and then have him not back at full speed in 1819, uh, I think diminished what this Boston team might have been able to be if they would have had Pete Gordon uh, during those moments. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And now he'll play with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn next season. And, uh, you know, so for a guy that, you know, chafed under LeBron, he ends up coming back and playing with Kevin Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes next year. I think a lot of people will be watching that. They need to, they need to get that coach hire right and really get the, get the right chemistry with those guys because they can be – they're highly talented players, but they both can be, you know, a little challenging in their own ways. Hey, he's 27 years old. Uh, he should be at his peak right now. Um, in the league, and it just will be really interesting to see where he ends up in all of these rankings. If we do this, you know, another five years from now, when this career is wind, winding down, a lot of it's going to depend for Kyrie on what happens the next couple of years in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. The number four pick in the draft, John. You are on the board with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I'm going to select. Uh, since they couldn't get Kyrie at number one because you took Kawhi Leonard, I'm going to take Kemba Walker for them, uh, who is now Boston's point guard, ironically enough. Guy who I think most people thought he'd be a change of pace, third guard type, and then really just kept elevating himself as a shooter and became such a weapon uh, between his perimeter game and his quickness at the offensive end that he became an all-star. Just a warrior heart. And this guy, and you know, you, 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 I, I watched him in the Maui Invitational one time, just, just take over the game. Uh, you know, Kemba Walker had that ability. You questioned whether he was going to be able to do it with his diminutive size. The fact that he wasn't a really a great shooter. I mean, there was a reason that he fell to nine in the draft and, and it wasn't because of his play on the court. Um, where everyone knew this guy was a warrior. It was really about how his game was going to transition to the NBA. And and this is just one player that I think has continued to work on his game and improve and find ways to do it, despite the fact that that he's one of the smaller guards in the league. Yeah, and, and has some fight to him at the defensive end too, which I think is uh, has really allowed his value to hold up. Uh, how how physical he is defensively if you really watch him and the number of hits he's able to take and keep on ticking is is really impressive yeah warrior he's a warrior okay I did not have Kemba Walker at four and I'm at five I had Clay Thompson here um, yeah I vacillated on that as well it, it's uh you I think that Clay's size his elite shooting ability and maybe the fact that because of the teammates that he has played with throughout his NBA career, we may undervalue a little bit about what Clay Thompson brings uh, to the game uh, on, on both ends of the court. I just look at his position and, and what he does and, and he would have been, he would have been number, number four, four for me. And uh, obviously injury uh, is a major question mark uh, about him and, and where that's going to, to lead in the future. He set out this entire season um, after being injured in the NBA Finals during the 2018-19 season. Uh, but he was coming off a uh, yet another year of elite three-point shooting, 
uh, elite scoring ability. And, you know, he can do a lot of other things too. And I think he's at, I, I've always felt that he's been a bit underrated as a defender. Yeah, pretty solid, pretty solid defensive player, uh, which you're, you're right. He doesn't get a lot of uh, attention for. And then, I mean, 41.9% career from three. Um, has a league record for points in a quarter, uh, just capable of crazy hot streaks, really saved the Warriors' bacon in that uh, game six in Oklahoma City, uh, the uh, the second year of their dynasty, I think, 2016, uh, where, where they were down 3-1 against the Thunder. Uh, th- and that, that was Clay who really rescued them that day. And, you know, it, interesting when you look back at this draft and, you know, you knew that about Clay coming in, he was a shooter, you look at the players that ended up kind of coming off the board, you know, a, a ahead of him. And there was a lot of debate, just to be honest and open with people, including with me, about whether Alec Burks out of Colorado, who went one pick behind him, was going to be the better prospect uh, in mm-hmm. the draft. It turned out to not be that way. But there was there was definite teams that were Alec Burks over Clay Thompson. Uh, he slides to 11 in the draft. And uh, given his career at Washington State, it's just giving so many factors. That was one where it was, it's kind of clear, like Jimmer for debt went ahead of him. Uh, how, how was that possible? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and Bismack Biambo and Jan Vesely. I mean, you, you, you look at these guys and it wasn't like they're, these pedigrees were so much stronger that you take them over Clay Thompson. This is one of those ones. I just go back and just scratch my head all the time. How did he last till 11? Uh, in the draft, especially when you just even go back and watch him at Washington State, a little bit of a mystery, right? Yeah. There, I mean, was there anything on him coming out of Washington State? Like, what was the background I, like? I don't think I don't think there was there was anything. I I, I don't know if it, maybe there was just questions about like his athletic athletic ability. You know, right. I, I tried to go back and look a little bit, like why were other people and even myself didn't have Clay Thompson in the top ten. And it's just one of those ones that I just think there was some scouting mistakes that were done, including by me, um, hmm. you know, with him, because it's it's kind of clear now. Like you go back and watch that Washington State stuff a little bit and it, it connects uh, to what he ended up being at Golden State. OK. And this was um, I believe this was uh, Jerry West had moved into kind of Golden State uh, territory then. And I believe yeah, I think I think this was. West, I mean, West was definitely vociferously against trading him for Kevin Love when that was a big rumor. Um, but I, I can't remember if West was there behind this pick. I think he might have been, though. I want to talk about our new sponsor, rockauto.com. It's a family business. It's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. 
The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I'm gonna have a built bar. Got a ton of options here, but I'm going to go, yeah, I'm gonna go with the raspberry chocolate cream. Uh, first of all, the bar tastes great. It's creamy. It's soft. It essentially tastes like I'm eating a piece of C's candy, but it's low in sugar. It's got high protein. It's it's an energy bar. It's it's not a candy bar. It just it just tastes like one. I've actually been using them for the past few weeks for a boost of my energy and protein after like long runs. But I also think they hit the spot after talking about the NBA draft. And there's no high sugar content or chalky bad taste left in my mouth. And in other words, it's the opposite of a David Kahn draft. Well, okay. Almost done. I'm tempted to do one more. It's that whole bar of deliciousness set me back uh, 110 calories. Now I'm eyeing a peanut butter brownie. Okay, so the cool thing is that on their website... They let you mix and match the bars you want in any combination. So everyone gets their favorite. And all right, look, I know we need to get back to the 2020 NBA draft. So here's the deal. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Locked on. $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Next time we can take a little break together and you can enjoy your Built Bar while I enjoy mine. You've been uh, listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We are back with picks six through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger, redrafting the 2011 NBA Draft. Five All-Stars off the board, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Clay Thompson. The Wizards are on the board at six. Who do you got? Not Jan Vesely. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a, uh, uh, a guy who, uh, actually another All-Star, a one-time All-Star, the best player ever from Montenegro, I believe, uh, Nikola Vucevic. Okay, and why Vucevic? You, you had the choice uh, between another international big man here, Jonas Valanciunas, and their numbers yeah, tend to be fairly similar. Uh, fairly similar. I thought uh, Vooch's uh, peak seasons was able to do it over uh, these last two years. He's been able to do it as a 30-plus minutes player um, and be a little more of an offensive fulcrum for them with his shooting and passing. Uh, Valanciunas, obviously, we traded for him. We had him. Awesome guy. Uh, was the next guy on my list. Uh, and uh, really effective around the basket, really good post defender, really good rebounder. 
Um, I just thought Vooch's skill level is a little higher, and I thought that gives him the advantage here. I, I got that. I had him just flipped. And so, you know, we can sort of talk this together. I'll take, and you said you had him on your board as well, that, that Hornets ended up with this pick, though they traded up in the draft to get Biombo. I'll take Valanchunas here as well. And again, I, I see you on the, on the skill side uh, with Vucevic and, and, and why you would go, go there. I think that maybe part of where I'm landing is that Valanchunas is two years younger. And uh, might have a longer um, uh, runway, right, to continue to to build on his career than Vucevic. Uh, but I think that's very defensible either way. Okay, that that's a really quick six and seven with two big international centers um, who have uh, been uh, starters in the league. And as you said, Vucevic even getting an all-star nod. That leaves us with the Detroit Pistons at number eight. They took uh, Brandon Knight. I'm going to take a guy. It's my pick, right? It's your pick. I'm going to take a guy the Pistons are very familiar with, um, and that is Tobias Harris, who, unlike a lot of other guys in this draft, I mean, he's still 27. Like, he, he still could add a lot to his record over the next three, four, five years or whatever. Uh, averaged 19 a game for Philadelphia this year. Averaged 20 a game the year before. Splitting it with the Philly and the Clippers. Uh, Good scorer, pretty good shooter at the end of the day, even though that wasn't that was a big question mark when he came out in the draft, right? At a at a Tennessee. 36% for his career. Good enough on, you know, defensively and, and on the ball. I think he's a good he's he's not the best player on a good team, but I think if he's your number two or number three guy, you're pretty happy. An interesting guy. He slips a little bit in the draft. I think a lot of people just felt like he wasn't ready, that he was jumping the gun. His dad was his agent. There was a you know number of things that I think led to maybe just a, like a little bit of a tarnished view of him and and what he was going to be. But after his rookie season, which there wasn't a lot to say about that rookie season at Milwaukee, he goes to Orlando. He immediately starts you know putting up numbers and and then does that in Detroit and and now uh, then with the Clippers probably has his best seasons uh, actually uh, with the Clippers. And now with Philadelphia, the guy's moved around a lot, <laughs> a lot. This is his first two, one, two, three, four. He's been on five teams. Which, I mean, for a good player, that's, that's a lot, right? That's a, that's a lot. Like it's one thing if you're, it's like scrubs change teams all the time, right? But uh, for, for a player of this caliber, it is a little unusual. And Philadelphia had both him and Jimmy Butler on this team with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid last season, they sort of know that they can't financially afford to keep everybody. They end up doing Tobias Harris. Did they make the right call? Well, I, I don't know if they had the other option. Um, unless they had gone really overboard with the, the five-year full max for Butler, which I know there were questions about that. But the, I don't think it's a great contract with, with Tobias Harris. I, th- I think he makes significantly more than he's actually worth, but he's a good player. I, I like him a lot better at 20 than I do at, you know, 34 a year or whatever. Do you think he's the right fit in Philadelphia right now? I mean, this has always been the question of who do you pair with Ben Simmons and Joel yeah. Embiid, and those are your two stars. So you talked about him being like the third best guy uh, on a team. Yeah. And that's kind of where he is in Philadelphia. Is he the right third guy on this team? 
I think he's the right fit. I think the issue is that they use that salary slot on Horford where they probably should have gone with somebody who had more perimeter skill and, and, the, and played Tobias Harris at four. And that's where they really hurt themselves, that they were so focused on having an insurance policy for Joel Embiid, which they could have gotten with their $5 million exception. Like they didn't need to spend $26 million on that. And I think that's where they went wrong there. Okay, it's the ninth pick in the draft. The Hornets are on the clock again. They got Kemba Walker. We can't give them Kemba Walker, unfortunately. You can give them the next best thing, though. Yeah, uh, a small, high-scoring, tough, energetic point guard. He was the 60th pick in the draft. Uh, I was looking back. I didn't get it all the way back, but it looks like maybe the only good 60th pick in the draft. Isaiah Thomas who had a, if you want to talk about like peak and, and yeah. we talk about this sometime, like what was their peak seasons in Boston? He was a monster, including the 2016, 2017 season uh, where he averaged 29 points a game for Boston. Uh, just a monster injuries happen right when he's about ready to get his big payday and, you know, in what I'm sure he feels was a moment of betrayal, uh, Boston moves on from him and he just really can't ever get back to where he was before. He, he played 40 games for Washington this year, uh, but at not nearly at the level um, that we saw him at a few years ago. He's 30 years old now. I think there's a major question mark about how much Isaiah Thomas has left to give in the NBA. Uh, I'm definitely a major, major <laughs> question mark there. Yeah, I, th I think this might be over. And uh, this this was a pick that the Kings made with a 60th pick and and really started right away to come in and 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 make an impact uh, as a, as a rookie. Um, those years in Boston. How good was he really? I mean, he was an offense unto himself. They just played pick and roll around him and had shooters, and Brad Stevens was smart enough to, to tilt the offense to favor what Isaiah Thomas could do well. But then Isaiah Thomas did the rest. I mean, he was just lethal because he was just so fast on the ball that you couldn't stay in front of him, you couldn't corral him. And he had really deep shooting range too. Yeah, yeah you couldn't you like couldn't he, lay he, off he could him. Shoot. Yeah, you couldn't lay off yeah. him. He he shot eight and a half threes a game that 2016 and 17 season at a 38% yeah. clip. Yeah. Yeah. And shot 90% from the free throw line and was getting to the free throw line eight and a half times a game. I mean, that's, that's incredible. He's shooting eight. I, I, I should have went back and looked at this. Do we have a player that shot eight and a half threes a game and eight and a half free throws a game averaged? I mean, James Harden, obviously, but he was, this was, I mean, this was 16, 17 too. There weren't a lot of guys doing this type of thing that even three, four years ago, as much as they are now. And he, he was just, you know, we had a game in Memphis where we had a, I think it was a 15 point halftime lead on them. And he just went bananas on us on the second half and we couldn't do anything about it. Uh, and it was, it was just incredible. They ended up winning the game in overtime and, but that, that was what that whole year was like with him. And so look, if he stays healthy, and keeps up what he had done, he probably moves up three, three, maybe 
probably only about three might, spots. Might end up in our top five. Definitely, definitely goes six. Definitely goes yeah. six. And and he drops a little bit here uh, because his career just ended up being uh, so much shorter than some of the guys that were ahead of him. But as as peak player, you know, maybe with the exception of, you know, uh, well, again, you know, his his best season rivals any of the other guys' best seasons. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Okay, at 10, this was a Bucks pick. It gets traded to the Kings. Jimmer Fredette ends up getting selected. Who do you have at 10? Boy, we got a drop off here, huh? Mm-hmm. Big time, man. I'm gonna so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for for solid here. Okay, uh, I'm gonna take Tristan Thompson, who I think has just been a good, productive, high rebounding, good defender, very important piece in that Cleveland uh, championship against Golden State because of his ability to defend and switches. Uh, I think he's a good veteran who still has a couple good years left in him too, even though the game has tilted away from his type of player. Uh, so he'd, he'd be my pick here. I, and I, and I think that some of the tarnish on Tristan Thompson was just that he was the fourth pick in the draft. And that was a reach on draft night. I think everybody sort of knew that they were projecting out what he would be compared to what he has been. But I think this is the right, I didn't quite have him here, but this is the right spot to be thinking about, about Tristan Thompson and and all the things that he's done both as a starter and the impact on the defensive end, the versatility there. I think that's a that's a good call. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA.
Okay, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger, redrafting the 2011 NBA Draft Lottery. In our last segment, Nikola Vucevic, Jonas Valanciunas, Tobias Harris, Isaiah Thomas, Tristan Thompson, all go off the board. It's the Warriors at 11. Unfortunately, they are not going to be able to select Clay Thompson. I am going to give them Nikola Mirotic, who ended up being the 23rd pick uh, in the draft and who doesn't quite have the same longevity of some of the other players that were uh, on this board because it takes him several years to get over here. Super high-level player in Europe. Uh, a good three-point shooter that stretches the floor. Smart basketball player. Solid rebounder. Ends up uh, not playing at all in the in the 2019-20 uh, season in the NBA. But when you look at his sort of main years between, you know, 2016 and, and, you know, 2018, I think he was just a really solid stretch guy in the, in the league. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, he's the best player, not in the NBA, I would say, other than, other than maybe the top couple guys in this year's draft. And even that's a little questionable. Um, He's the best player in Europe, certainly. He could have gotten a big deal to stay in the NBA and just chose to go back to Europe. But had he been in the NBA this entire nine-year period, I think he'd have a really good body of work that would be comparable to anyone uh, after Isaiah Thomas in our in our draft here. Yeah, and defense was really – we knew coming in that defense was going to be the the major issue for him at the NBA level. And, and I think it's in part why he felt more comfortable going back to Europe, where I think uh, that's a less a problem and he can be a star. Okay. Nikola Miritich is off the board at 11, the Utah jazz on the board at 12 took Alec Burks. Uh, I don't think that's going to be your pick. No, it's not. Uh, so I'm going to do something similar to what you did. I'm going to take Davis Bertans here. Uh, I think he still has, a lot of runway left on his career and that his best season might still be ahead of him. Uh, absolute knockdown shooter, still just 27 years old. Uh, I think he's going to get a nice payday this off season. Uh, really interested to see what the future holds uh, for him. Uh, 42% from three this year, 42% uh, in San Antonio the year before on really high volume. Uh, completely stretches the floor, tilts the geography of the floor almost as much as any player in the league because of his ability to shoot off of screens. And he's so big, you have to contest it so hard. Uh, it actually gets him to the foul line too, even though he virtually never sets foot inside the three-point line. Uh, I think he's just become a really valuable player the way the game is played now. I agree with that as well. My guy at 13 is another guy that you could put in this, but he's a little bit older, and maybe that makes the argument for Berton right now. At 13 with the Suns, I have Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, who also takes a little while to get here. Uh, doesn't come into the 2014 season. Having the last two seasons of his career, really career years, 18 points a game for Indiana in 2018-19, 20 points a game for the Utah Jazz this year, an elite shooter, Taking seven threes a game this year while shooting 41% uh, for Utah. Uh, big part of what they do in Utah uh, this year. And uh, a guy that just 
got into the league, obviously had shooting, uh, but turned into a big time scorer uh, in the league. And it just seems like he's still getting better. I don't know where his drop off is right now, but I, it's, it's fairly impressive in the 2011 draft that we're picking 13 and we're talking about a guy who this year in the league averaged 20 points a game and shot 41% from three. Yeah. I mean, as an, as an offensive player, especially he's another guy, his, his shooting is a real weapon and you sort of live with the defensive shortcomings because he can do so much for you at the offensive end. Now we'll see as he gets into his thirties, you know, he's still got three years to run on that contract at a pretty high number. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You see why the jazz went for a player like him though, when you think about Rudy and Donovan Mitchell and, and what they really needed to surround them. He he's a really nice fit that way. And when you have Rudy guarding the paint the way it does, you can you can live a little bit with some uh, defensive uh, deficiencies uh, from a player like Bogdanovich. Well, especially after what happened to them in the playoffs in Houston, against Houston a year ago where they just lost in a hailstorm of bricks, basically. Uh, I think addressing their shooting was job one. So they brought in him, brought in Mike Conley, and uh, th- I think teams have to guard them differently now. Uh, so we'll see how that works out for them when they get to the playoffs. Yeah, it could be a really big piece for them. It'll be really interesting to see what the Jazz do in the playoffs and and how that will lift Bogdanovich's profile. That was the 13th pick to the Suns. That gives you uh, the 14th pick to the Rockets. And there's there's actually there's actually a number of guys you could take here. This draft is actually fairly deep. It is it is a deep draft. Um, I actually. I think I'm going to go ahead and give him their guy. I think I can give him Marcus Morris. He's still a good player, uh, you know, playing pretty regularly for the Clippers at the age of 30. I think combo forwards like him are really in demand now. And I think he's going to be able to stay, you know, stay playing and producing for a while longer. Uh, 19.6 points per game for the Knicks this year uh, has been in, in double figures. This is the seventh straight year now. He's a, he's a good, solid two-way player, nothing, you know, nothing crazy good. Maybe, you know, maybe you wish he didn't take quite as many tough twos as he did. Uh, but he's, he's just a nice, solid player. Come on, John. You select, first of all, you selected a Kansas player. Let's, let's, let's all take a pause. Yes. Selected yes. a Kansas player. I did. I did. Wow. I'm just, I'm, okay. I'm tearing up. As we get to the end of these redrafts, I'm tearing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. John Hollinger selects uh-huh. a, a Kansas player. At number fourteen, Marcus Morris, and and look, there was other guys that we could have actually you know talked about here. It's it's not like Ennis Cantor still has a career. Yep. Kenneth Fareed had some yep. big years in Denver. Uh, yep. Reggie Jackson is, is yep. still uh, you know playing. Um, Chandler Parsons, yeah. if, Chandler if, Parsons, if it wasn't I for injuries, to say this, but yes, yeah, yeah, if it wasn't for yeah. injuries, we'd be talking about him right now. Um, as much as we giggle at Bismack Biombo, he's had a pretty long career in the league and and has you know been a solid defensive player. Uh, you know there was a there was a lot of guys that we could have continued to talk about here, but let's talk about a few, uh, a few that we didn't. Yeah. Okay. CSI time. Derek Williams, <laughs> number two pick in the draft, and considered actually weirdly like the safe pick in this yeah, draft. Like he, he was had, the safe I mean, guy. It was he had such a good year at Arizona, and shot the ball really well. And I don't know. I when I talked to some people who were there in Minnesota, they just felt like the the fire wasn't totally there with him. 
and that that was a big problem. But I also think he just wasn't as good a shooter as he he looked like at Arizona. Well, not with a, as a career 30% three-point shooter. That bouncy athleticism, I think, was also the very attractive thing to, to his game and what I think a lot of people uh, thought, okay, you have this combination of you know, shooting ability, able to bounce. This is where it's interesting where, you know, some people are like, okay, Obi Toppin in this year's draft is, is Amari Stoudemire. I've had some NBA scouts come back and say, could you say that he's Derek Williams? And I think that the one difference though, as you pointed out was I see a fire in Obi Toppin that I don't see in Derek Williams. And then that sort of drive to be great. Um, but a little bit shocking just given the tools that he has that he produced the career uh, that that he did. Really just his second season at Minnesota was the only thing that was even really passable as a as a decent season in the league. Okay. And his canter. I think he's a victim of how the league changed. Because mm-hmm. I think when Utah picked him, they were really seeing him not even as a five, but as a four. Yeah. Very you skilled. Know, he could he could shoot a little. Like when he do you remember that hoop summit game he had? He had like 30 something points or something, yeah. something. And a lot of it was on jump shots. Yep. Uh, Soft he, touch. He played on the, and on the perimeter more, uh, as a teenager than he ever has as an NBA player. And I think he's, he just evolved a little different direction where he's more of a beast ball five now, but he's a little undersized defensively. There's just too many questions for him to really be a starter at this point. Um, my, I have a lot of favorite Ennis Cantor. So he's quite the personality, you know, also he's had to deal with a lot of, of political turmoil in his own country and things like that. He's quite an outgoing uh, personality. And uh, I took my daughter who was a freshman at BYU to uh, her first jazz game. And we run into Ennis Cantor after the game. My daughter's about five foot one and Ennis Cantor asked her out in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Told him if he'd done that before the draft, he would have dropped like 20 spots on my board. Um, so, um, <laughs> wow, there's a, there's a little side story for you. They, they didn't go out, at least not to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Maybe they did. In, in my... <laughs> but I've got a pretty, pretty funny picture of the two of them together. And, and I'm not sure she comes up to his waist. Jan Vesely. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Jan Vesely has been one of the best players in Europe for over the last four or five years. Um, and I think one of the thing, big things that went wrong here is that Washington wanted to be like an, a, a three or a three, four, like this energy kind of combo forward guy, but he could not shoot at all. And the idea of playing him as a smaller five and having to be a rim runner and shot blocker and like that, it just wasn't in vogue yet in the league. And so I think that's a big reason he failed. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, one of those, again, maybe just, we talk about timing where the league evolves away from you. The league hadn't maybe quite evolved to Jan Vesely um, yet. And so uh, interesting that he does go back to Europe and has a, has a really uh, big career there. There's a, people were very excited about him in part because of his athletic ability um, at his size. 40% career foul shooter. That, that's tough to do. Yikes. Um, did Biombo top that? Biombo, 57 and a half okay, career. Right. He's well, much it's better. Like Clay Thompson compared much to Vesely. Better. Brandon Knight. He's all right. <laughs> like, I, he, uh, I just don't know if his, you know, people were so excited about him, how smart he was yes. uh, as a person. He's and when they interviewed brilliant, him, brilliant, brilliant guy, brilliant guy. 
but he never really played like a high IQ game mm-hmm. on the court. Yeah. He was just kind of a combo guard, a little bit of shoot first to him. It just never quite clicked that way. He was John Hollinger off the court and John Hollinger on the court. <laughs> Don't insult him like that. Come on. He, hey, what, what, what's your uh, Biombo story? He was no Dylan Brooks. <laughs> had to throw that one in. So, you know, Biombo, <laughs> for, those, for those drinking at home. So Biombo is at the um, Euro camp. And, you know, he's, and, and by the way, you want to also talk about a guy who's brilliant, speaks multiple languages, you know, has a maturity about him. You know, all, all those things about Biombo. He comes to the camp. There's a ton of hype about him and where he's going to go. He decides to do a workout. The entire gym is is filled with NBA execs and scouts. And his trainer decides that he's not going to play against anybody. He's just going to go do a workout on his own. And so we're he's playing this, and it's brick after brick after brick. It's It's... If you've watched a lot of these workouts, you know none of them are impressive, uh, but this this was at a level of bad that I'm not sure that I that I'd ever seen before. Um, to which one NBA executive who's sitting right next to me leans over and says, "Chad, I got your I got your headline for this workout," and I'm like, "Okay, what is it?" And he says, "Bismarck Biombo played one on none and lost." <laughs> And, uh, and, and so it, it did hurt his draft stock, which was then the shock that Charlotte moves up in the draft and ends up taking mm-hmm. Biombo at, at, at seven. And, um, you know, and, and only maybe a way that, that Charlotte, uh, can, can, can pull off, uh, anything you want to say about Biombo's career Play, played a really good hoop summit game. Yeah. I think that that got people's attention too. He had a triple double with blocks. Yeah. Um, he, he was another guy. People thought he might be older than he was uh, listed as too. Yes. Right. Jimmer Fredette as a, I, as a BYU alum, everybody hit me up on Fredette. I was getting killed in my own community for maybe not loving Fredette more. I mean, Fredette was one of the most awesome and electric college basketball players to, to play the game. And it just seemed like none of it translated to the NBA. Yeah, I was deeply suspicious of him uh, just because I, I just didn't think he could do, I didn't think he could play anything like the way he played in, in, in an, an NBA level because he, he just wasn't going to be good enough or athletic enough to have the ball in his hands. And then for him to not be that guy, I think it's really hard for him the way he he plays, and then defensively, he just had a target on his. Back. Undersized for the really position he was, just had the ultimate, the ultimate green light at BYU, and you know was 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 any team going to give him that? Apparently, the Kings decided that they were. But interestingly, and this is this is where fit becomes such a hard thing too. This was not the pick that the coaching staff wanted in Sacramento. And created a real tension there, right? They 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 saw Jimmer. We're not going to let him play that way. He doesn't play any defense. How he's going to get on the core? And this is where your front office and your coaching staff really have to get on the same page, especially with a little bit of an older player like Jimmer Fredette or whatever. Like if this is a if this is a a player that your coach just isn't going to utilize or use, that's a wasted pick. 
And it, that was like kind of clear from day one when you heard the comments sort of coming out of the coaching staff about Jimmer uh, has been really good in China. Yeah, I think that's a perfect environment for him because he can be the guy there. Uh, sad, sad Jimmer for that. Uh, we'll just end. I, I didn't know that the Morris twins were going to make uh, our top 14, but I, I will just end with the Morris ten, twins were a trip. And, and one of the things was, you know, and this is the truth with a lot of like identical twins. They didn't, they wanted to be drafted by the same team. They put a ton of energy and effort, drove their agent a little bit crazy, trying to convince teams that the, they would only go to a team that drafted both of them, you know, you know, together. I mean, they really didn't want to be separated. And I think this was true to a certain extent with the Lopez twins as well. They, they were so close and have shared everything together their whole life that there was a ton of trepidation on their part about separating just as human beings, which was going to happen. And then ironically, they got reunited in Phoenix and then separated again. Separated again. Well, you've been listening to the 2011 NBA Redraft with John Hollinger. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Chad. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On, on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.